Hey everyone, I just want to remind you to make sure you check out the awesome people over at Anchor.fm. Of course, it is a great place for you to host your own podcast. And guess what? One of the cool parts is that it's totally free. Yeah, that's right, free. There's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your computer or even your phone. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many others. Trust me, it's so easy. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. If you guys want to get in on it, make sure you download the free Anchor app or just simply go to anchor.fm to get started. going on everybody is yours truly connor ak okay fave here welcome guys to episode number nine of wrestling retrospective this is the place where myself and my good friend jake demarco take a deep look inside and chronicle the entire career of some of your favorite wrestlers this is definitely a uh, labor of love you could say for all the uh, amazing fans out there who are of course listening to the show as we of course like i mentioned we go deep diving into the entire career we do not leave any stone unturned and this month's installment of wrestling retrospective we're going to take a look at the lovely luchador herself the lovely amy dumas beverly also known as Ta. now it's interesting we found a lot of interesting stuff to, uh, about her but before we even deep dive into this first and foremost i have to introduce my brother from another mother he is the silent bob to my jay i have here with me at countdown ended on twitter we got jake demarco jake how you doing tonight snoochy boochies baby can't wait to deep dive into this one I know this was uh, my personal pick, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's multifaceted because, you know, we haven't had any women that we've covered for the retrospective yet, and I said this is, uh, you know, one of my personal fam- uh, favorite female wrestlers, and, uh, you know, as well, a, a real, you know, hot commodity with the fans. Everyone seemed to, you know, really uh, enjoy the idea of us covering her for the first of the female side of the retrospective, so... You know, it's not only just, a, like I said, a personal favorite, but a fan favorite as well. And who better deserving than someone that really broke the mold of what women were doing at that point in time of, you know, the Attitude Era and wrestling when you had, you know, so many, uh, I don't want to say Barbie dolls, but that that's essentially what it was. It was, you know, TNA. It was more about skin than the wind. And here came Lita, like a car crash, you know, just, just slamming into the, <laughs> the wrestling world. And she, she, you know, it was, was obviously sexy and beautiful and, you know, amazing to look at, but she was even more amazing in the ring and what she brought, you know, that tenacity, that fire, that, that passion was unparalleled at that point in time. So it, it, it truly is next level. And she's one of my all time favorite female competitors. Now it's interesting because, and I've said this multiple times already, uh, you know, when you think of a wrestler and you think, okay, you know most about what the you know their career and you know deep, but when you go deep diving like we do here on the retrospective, you find some gems that you may not either either remember or something heard of before, which is why I'm really excited. And when Jake threw Lita out at me, I'm like, that's an interesting one because I bet you there's things, and I'm sure we're gonna get to them tonight uh, on this and on this installment uh, that. Fans, again, like I said, either forgot or just never knew about her whatsoever, including her length in the wrestling business, um, which we'll get to at the very beginning. But um, 
But of course, this of course would not be possible by the awesome patrons out there over on patreon.com slash okfave. If you guys want to sign up for that and become a gold patron, that's $5 per month, you get access to these episodes as soon as they drop, meaning as soon as me and Jake DeMarco are done and I actually get some sleep and get this thing edited and posted, it is available for everyone a month before it goes out to the general public. We just, of course, released the episode on the late, great Owen Hart. Uh, that one got a lot of positive reaction uh, already, and it's only been out publicly for a while. Uh, but of course, we also have one coming up next month. That one is going to be featuring the legendary Bruno San Martino, which I cannot wait to tell you guys about this. There is a special little treat that I'm going to reveal about that specific episode next month. I have to wait until the very end of the podcast because trust me, it's one that um, I was very gracious and I was kind of hoping it was going to work out and it, it turned out it did. So I uh, can't wait to talk to you about um, what the special treat is for the Bruno San Martino. Sorry, we couldn't get lead on. Lead on here. We tried. We certainly tried. We tried. It would have been amazing, but, you know, hopefully we uh, eventually just get her to listen and uh, hear what she thinks and get some input. That, that would be just as uh, monumental. Now, of course, going forward beyond Bruno San Martino in August, um, well, <laughs> um, that's a bit of a question mark at this point. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this particular episode, um, but me and Jake were actually talking about this in length uh, before we got on here. Um, you guys have probably seen me t tease it on social media. Uh, I've talked to some people about this in not you know huge detail, but that some big project that I've been working on is, is potentially coming to light and it, I can't say that it's going to completely affect the wrestling retrospective. I'm just saying is that it's TBD and I, I don't want to discourage people because I know we've gotten so many positive responses. And we feel like we just got the traction off this thing. You know, we did, we, we did six hours of the undertaker and we were working yeah. on here. But, um, but uh, yeah, we have a lot of a lot of news coming up, you know, and uh, even even some at the very end of this this show, you know. So at the end of this podcast, you listen all the way through, you might might find yourself a little bit surprised as well. Then, but a lot of uh, a lot of big things in the works, and I I couldn't be happier, you know, or more excited to eventually share with all the wonderful fans and listeners out there what's you know what's to come, and yeah. I think everyone will be. Uh, be, you know thoroughly impressed and excited as well so i certainly hope so and of course love to hear your thoughts on all these different subjects whether it be past retrospectives or ideas for future ones maybe uh you can of course hit me up on twitter at okfave and of course you can hit up jake demarco at countdown ended subscribe to the youtube channel and of course let us know your thoughts on everything involving the lovely Ita. and of course check out all the other past episodes they're also available on audio platform on podbean itunes stitcher radio google play spotify wherever you guys get your audio podcasting needs with that being said jake i think it's time to deep dive into lita now uh amy dumas of course is her real name and and like i mentioned before and we were kind of talking about this a little bit before uh we got on here about like what she's most famous for um and obviously the biggest thing that a lot of people her from i think if from her career anyway is two things uh team extreme which Self, Matt and Jeff Hardy, and then subsequently the fallout from that, which is her relationship. I shouldn't. Well, yeah, her relationship slash her on camera um, debauchery. I guess we could call it with 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 uh, with Edge. <laughs> yeah, that, that, and, that whole mess. It, it, which I cannot wait to get to deep dive into. But um, it's funny because a lot of people like thought Lita started out right in the cusp of the Attitude Era, which is when she was the most famous. 
Um, but interestingly enough, she had a lot of other, you know, speaking developments beforehand, and I'll let Jake set this up. Um, I know that she was, um, she was born in Florida, um, and then of course pretty much fi finished out, uh, high school, and then of course, uh, tried to go for, uh, uh, major in education in Georgia State University, but unfortunately did drop out. Um, but of course, worked in several bands, which is something that we'll talk about. But let's talk about when she first got into pro wrestling, which was around 1997, in a very interesting way, right, Jake? Yeah, she uh, she was actually watching with her then boyfriend, and she wasn't uh, a huge fan of wrestling until she saw the one and only Rey Mysterio Jr. You know, on the, the famous Mexican luchador, and she she watched him wrestle in a cruiserweight match on uh, WCW's Monday Nitro, and that lit a fire inside of her, and she, you know, from there wanted to wrestle. She uh, traveled to Mexico in 1997 to learn more about the sport and how to wrestle at that point in time, and she financed her training by dancing in a club under the pseudonym Misty, so... Now, can, can, <laughs> you a, can, you, stage name. can you imagine this, right? Like, someone who, I mean... We hear this all the time about people's passion for pro wrestling. Obviously, we have a passion for pro wrestling. But can you imagine the the I, I, there's no other way to say it. The balls it takes to say I really want to do that to to go to fucking Mexico of all places. Not not to disparage Mexico. Mexico is obviously one of the biggest wrestling countries in the world. But like to Absolutely, to to want to go to that's, Mexico. That's a roughneck. You know that's, that's yeah. A dangerous, uh way to go about things she didn't go ahead and, and you know go to calgary for <laughs> the dungeon as we've covered before no right she went ahead and she she went right into the thick of it and to go off pretty much on a whim you know no money no uh no plans really just a, a hope a dream and a, a body to match you know she she knew that she had uh, the assets so she was able to make a decent amount of money dancing and during her stay in mexico she trained under numerous wrestlers you know kevin quinn Ricky uh, Santana, Al Dandy as well. And following the completion of her training, she made several appearances at uh, CMLL in Mexico. And that was about 1998. She was going under the ring name Angelica. And that's where she made her debut there. Now, it's interesting that she, you know, CMLL, uh, still, I'm, I'm, I'm asking this, it's still around, correct? I believe so. But it's definitely I, like, if you if you look at like the two, the two biggest wrestling promotions are CMLL AAA, and so to be able to learn uh, from one of them, you know, in terms of like being able to like own your craft there, not a bad call. And of course, uh, yeah, it, it is it is still around. You know that uh, it's actually being run now by a different owner, Sofia Alonso, and you know they're they're with uh, currently recognizes and promotes twelve world championships for various divisions. So, jeez, that's like NWA level championships. Good yeah, God, got six national and six regional level championships. And uh, their anniversary show is the longest-running annual major show because it started in 1934. God. So the 85th anniversary was the most recent. Yeah, you know, it wow. is. It, it's it, that's what I mean. Like, it's interesting. You know, when you go back and look at like the WWF's history and whatnot, and you know, you look back in like the early WWF days, you're looking around the same time as the NWA, like around the 1900s. But the, you know, these companies. Have been around just as long, if not more, and have not transitioned the same way. So it's not like WWE, where there's been like gradual generation growths and whatnot. Not to say that like they're in the freaking Stone Age or anything like that, but like the lineage there, it's it's like if the NWA, well, I was gonna say it's like if the NWA still exists, 
day, which it actually does. But it's like if the NWA never merged with WCW and just kept being its own thing, like the, the history and lineage there is just um, fantastic. Like they're able to keep that there, which is just surreal. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, of course, she did a run in, in Mexico, uh, but of course, she did return back to the United States um, and continue yeah, to work. Yeah, she didn't have uh, much of a, you know, she had some success in Mexico, as we said, under the ring name and, uh, you know, Angelica, but it wasn't anything of note, really. You right. Know, she, she had some uh, some decent matchups, but she was she was hoping to return to the States and really see what she could do there. She knew there was, a, you know, quite a bit of uh, independent wrestling circuits that were coming up and, and pretty hot. So she started working as a valet on the indie circuits, and she worked in Maryland Championship Wrestling, actually, at one point yep. managing none other than Christopher Daniels. And you're going to notice so, uh, such a wide array of you know, names and, and talent that she's either accompanied or worked alongside and competed with that it, 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 it ends up blowing your mind, really, that, for lack of a better you know, way Dan to phrase it. Daniels has been around for so long. It's, it's kind of funny. I actually remember watching a shoot interview with Samoa Joe and uh, – I think it was Samoa Joe and CM Punk, and their nickname for him is OMD, which is Old Man Daniels. Yes. Um, and he, I mean, the guy's 49, and you wouldn't think it looking at him today. It's, we're, by the way, we're recording this on July 18th. Um, surreal, like, that he's that old, and he looks like he's in the best shape of his life. But anyway, I, I digress. Moving on. Yeah, still going strong. So she also made appearances uh, in NWA Mid-Atlantic, and that's when she met none other than Team Extreme themselves, Matt and Jeff Hardy, who offered to train with her. So she began training with them, you know, right then and there. And that's, you know, it certainly is, uh, you know, it, it, I don't want to throw away, you know, throw out the term, you know, destined, <laughs> you know. And, yeah, and, yeah, I know. But, but talk about, you know, how, how things end up being. It's just amazing the way this played out. So Now, it's interesting that a lot of people think that she would, of course, naturally just jump right into WWF. But funny enough, uh, those of you hardcore fanatics and it's, good choice of words i guess you could say pun um, intended pun intended um do you hear about that guy who entered the pun contest he sent in 10 different puns and unfortunately no pun intended anyway um <laughs> i have to break the tension some way folks it's really late and we're doing this um anyway uh she <laughs> that was so freaking i hate it sorry for the dad, dad jokes joke. volume one. For... Oh. God, I have novels. Anyway, she made her way to Extreme Championship Wrestling. So in April of 1999, so this was, uh, yeah, April 1999, so this is right around WrestleMania 15, if those of you are keeping track yes. at home. Uh, uh, she was approached by Heyman, um, who basically wanted to debut her as, and I love I love the, the, the name, Miss Congeniality, who was the on-screen yeah. girlfriend of Danny, Danny Doring at the and he, you know, basically uh, sought her out. You know, Heyman went ahead and, and, and had heard about her, you know, through the grapevine, as he was one to do. You know, he really had his finger on the pulse, you know, constantly finding the, the freshest, youngest, and, and best talent. And he was great about coming up with, you know, a certain type of uh, gimmick for these young wrestlers. And it, it really went ahead and gave her a pretty, you know, prominent role for a short period of time there. So. She later began using the name Angelica once again, and then she made her debut on uh, ECW pay-per-view on July 18th, funny enough, you know, that exactly 20 years ago today. Or, yeah, 20 years ago today. Imagine Holy crap. Uh, at Heat Wave, where Doring, as part of their storyline, proposed to her with a condom. So, <laughs> talk about, you know. <laughs> 
this is where hey, she listen, was listen, introduced. Listen, listen, all about protection. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, got to be safe in the ring. So she was introduced to veteran wrestler Dory Funk Jr. by ECW wrestler Rob Van Dam, and Funk invited her to attend his wrestling school, the Funkin' Conservatory. So this place, you know, my God, has, you know, taught some of the, the greatest hardcore legends. And uh, she attended Funk's school alongside 23 men, graduated from the school in August 99, and returned to ECW. I, I want to see if I, I had this list before of uh, people that she, she graduated with. Let me see if I can pull this back up, but... I'll let you keep going in the meantime. So uh, coming off of uh, her ECW, I'm sorry, I'm still hung up on the thing. Um, that's just really, <laughs> who proposes with our condom? I, I, you know, it's funny. I did actually, um, I did watch that pay-per-view. I did watch that um, weird, man. I mean, then again, ECW in the 90s, especially the late 90s. But anyway. Um, yeah, she graduated, with, uh, you know, at, at least not all just with, but people that had graduated either before her or in her class, besides Lita, is Kurt Angle, Jeff and Matt Hardy, Gene Snitsky, Gail Kim, Edge himself, Crash Holly, Christian, Albert, uh, Adam Windsor, David Flair, you know, uh, uh, Paul wow. London, Rhino, Rikishi, Sean Stasiak, Test, Val Venus, and William Regal, you know, oh, and Mickey James as well. So, I mean, the, the list the list goes on and on, but you know, I, I'm trying to find who graduated in her year for her class, and I know that was the Hardys as well as I believe uh, it was. I think Edge and Christian around the yeah. Uh, Edge no, and Christian well, was in, wait, wait. Uh, they were before that. They were yeah. In they had to have been six or ninety seven, and they, yeah, they had to. The have Hardys been because... graduated with her, and I believe it was also Gail Kim. So I I want to double check my math on that. But well, no, because the Hardys the Hardys debuted before Lita did. Because remember they were with Michael PSAs. Yes. The new free. But... What the? F <laughs> oh God, the new Freebirds. Oh my God. Listen, I want to say for the record, I'm a huge fan of Michael PSAs. The Freebirds, one of my favorite teams. I was there when they got inducted in the Hall of Fame. Awesome. But but Michael just wearing same outfit as the Hardys. <laughs> the Hardys, yeah. That that like come velvet on. crush shirt. Ugh. Anyway. Didn't, uh... Didn't do him any favors. I ain't sleeping. And um, <laughs> anyway, so while she's training in that in that do in the uh, Funkin' Conservatory, again, I love. Well, you're gonna know, God damn it. Um, yeah, it was it was a three. It started as a six day camp and later expanded to a three week program, and it was established in '99. So they did all graduate together from his now, uh, wrestling camp. It's, in it's interesting to hear like this like. How, you know, like how WWE created talent at this time? Like you know, we we take for granted now NXT and the Performance Center. I mean, you know, looking back at like even OVW when it was like in its infancy, like in the early two thousands, you know, and it became like really like the, the the breeding ground for a lot of the younger talents. Before that, really wasn't a whole hell of a lot. You know, and no, and, no, and it it's, really wasn't. It's kind of really surreal, and and to me makes you appreciate um, the talent that came out of that way that much more, just because, um, you know, <laughs> just because of what they had to get through. Yes, like the they, PC they had to, you know, really, like you said, look, look at how she started 
with hope and a dream, not a dime in her pocket, heads off to Mexico. Nowadays, you have the performance center, and you know it, it's it's less, uh, you know, <sighs> trial and error and more homegrown, basically. Right, and that's just, know, just real to me. But um, of course, she she finishes up and she of course returns to ECW. But in the meantime, Funk and his wife actually compiled a video footage of her, and sent it to the WWF. Um, of course, Vince and the Federation was very, very impressed. And on the first 1999, so again, looking at her from a uh, year, two years from actually starting, signed to a WWF development deal. And after six months in ECW, made her final appearance at uh, on October 23rd, 1999. So she was, she was only really in ECW for almost like a cup of coffee, um, which Interesting again, little fun trivia fact. So not only was she in the uh, first, uh, you know, manage Christopher Daniels, but also she was in EW for a whopping six months. But now you're thinking, okay, she's in the WWF and she's going right to Team Extreme, right? Wrong. And I actually remember when she teamed up with a um, a luchador that somebody, somebody, some of you guys may or may not know as S.A. Rios. Yeah, uh, just 24 hours before Valentine's Day in the year 2000, in the year 2000, the WWE Universe fell head over heels in love with the enigmatic newcomer who would take the wrestling world by storm in a relatively short order. I remember watching this live and blown away. You know, we hadn't seen a, a female competitor like her at this point in time, and she really out you know overshadowed and outshined uh the, the entire match but lita accompanied sa rios to the squared circle for a light heavyweight championship match with gilberg so the energetic redhead eagerly mimicked the actions of her partner and she really put the exclamation point on the uh, debut with a picture perfect moonsault and i can recall this you know my young self watching this on tv and my jaw dropped you know you just you didn't see females jumping from the top rope with such pinpoint execution and doing things that were so daring, especially on your debut night. We've not seen you before. And now you're going to go ahead and, you, you know, this is how you make your debut? Wow. I remember that, actually, self because you see this, like, energetic, differently dressed, differently uh, wild wild woman who is at least from what we saw from she came out you know out of the stage a valet and yes. we didn't you're not expecting her... her to wrestle at all you're just right like, oh, wow, she's very pretty look how gorgeous she is you know she, uh, you know she had sexy to a you know to attend and, and then all of a sudden she's competing in the ring and she's you know not not just yeah, you just go, uh, you what know, the getting f- involved, but it's off the top rope with a you know a moonsault, un- uh, unlike anything we've seen before. And I remember the announcers going wild, and it just you know she was she was not destined to be highlighted because of her looks, but rather her ability to soar through the air with with just such a grace and, and an attitude that fit right in with the edgier, more extreme content of WWF programming at that point in time. So. It really, it, you know, when we say it worked, it just worked. Lightning in a bottle, you know, you hear that term every now and again, but that, that could not be, you know, better encapsulated here for her. Uh, you figure with how extreme and edgy and, you know, next level the programming was trying to be, she was a perfect fit. It's interesting because I remember seeing interviews of other, if you guys go back and watch the, I think it's called The Attitude Era, it's a documentary on the network. Um, they mentioned that like Lita got 
some of the biggest pops when she came out. And this was later on on stream, but how over she got to the, getting like Austin rock level actions, which is insane yes. to think of. It, it did not happen before. Even when she was still paired with S.A. Rios, was she getting these, you know, massive ovations and he was booked as a heel and he was, you know, very abusive towards her and she was getting, you know, just revered <laughs> while he was getting just so much heat. So in the meantime, she's, uh, they do have a feud with Eddie Guerrero in China, which of course led to a European title match between Rios and then champion Guerrero at Backlash, which Rio lost. Uh, in May, a storyline was developed, which Lita found Rios, uh, noodling with a godfather or one of godfather's <laughs> hoes causing more tension yes, between them was, uh, interested in their services he was riding the caboose of the hoe train um rios eventually turned on lita by by power bombing her <laughs> sorry i laugh yeah. because there's no way in hell that would happen in wb now no um, not at all but uh, you, you know the the I, I hate to phrase it this way but like the man on woman violence is is unseen today but it was more commonplace back then. And right. that was one of the things that I, I loved about Lita was that she was not afraid to tangle it up with the guys. Most of the females would slap somebody or, or you'd see even China for a long time. It was only low blows until she started doing, you know, direct competition with the men. But even when she was competing, you're only seeing low blows for, you know, for a short portion of time until she later went for the you know the ic title and whatnot but right lita right off the bat you know hurricane ranas and, and moonsaults for days so so with her i mean it's kind of interesting because i do remember the sa rios thing and i thought that for sure it lasted a lot longer but no it only lasted from february until may of 2000 um but of course that was short-lived because as a destiny were to be as part of the storyline lita ultimately did join up with the hardy boys in the trio known as Team Extreme. Now, at this point, this is when Lita developed more of, like, more, you know, um, yeah, I guess I'll, I, I, the notes I have here say alternative image. That's probably the best way I could describe it. Uh, she had the baggy pants on, and of course, the thong, the legendary thong, which was hiked up above her pants, clearly exposed, um, which... Yes. Um, I've tried that look. It does not bode well for men. Um, the yeah, comfort level I, is... I, I mean, I appreciated you getting dressed up for me, but it just didn't have the same flair Wait, that she did. So You can see me? <laughs> uh, no, no, just a uh, mental image. I wonder what that red blinking... All right, we'll have to talk about that later. But anyway, um, so it's interesting because uh, for the most part at, at this time, at least towards um, the very beginning... She was still sort of the valet. She would still get involved in matches here and there, doing sorts of things like the her and Karan, the moonsault, which was kind of her two big things. But for the most part, she was still like the valet hot chick role. But with the Hardys, it just meshed well with the whole gimmick because you had these two like daredevil, like just insane uh, boys who just brought this insane daredevil punk rock. Like it just melded so well together. Yeah, it was a it was a perfect marriage, and then on top of it, you know, <laughs> she was the difference maker. Sorry, when you said perfect yeah. marriage, I giggled a little bit there. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yeah, you have to, but uh, take that in stride, Lita. But we went ahead and and, and you know we, we saw her just be the difference maker time and time again, whether it you know be in or out of the ring. She she elevated Team Extreme, I want to say, because they were they were you know obviously competing in many notable matches, but think about the ovations that they got after she joined you know she 
I don't want to say like she made them more credible, but she definitely made them more famous. And that is without a doubt a, a fact of <laughs> like, you well, know, merchandise sales and whatnot can be backed up with. She definitely helped make Team Extreme stand out even more. Because even though, we'll talk about this in a minute, but even though, you know, they weren't the only uh, uh, trio, because of course one of their first major uh, rivalries was with TNA, not not total nonstop action wrestling. I mean, Test and Albert with Trish Stratus as their manager. Yeah, she she brought something different with with how they present. So obviously the Hardy Boys were different than Edge and Christian than the Dudleys when they came in. Um, but realistically, she brought a different vibe to the Hardys than half at the time uh, with any other team, even even TNA. Uh, which is what I really appreciated is that they it, it added a different dimension to them. Uh, in fact, yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it made her seem uh, uh, just a, a different level of cool. You know, it used to be where every right. guy, you know, sees these the, the women talent. And, oh, I, I would love that. That's my dream girl. That's my girlfriend. You know, that's and she became holy crap. I'd love to have a drink with her. I'd love to hang out with her. Like it, it, she was, you know, one of the guys as well. You know, she was beautiful, but smart, but cunning. And, and it, you know, it worked on a different level. It wasn't just a physical attraction anymore. Now it was wow, she's super talented. I would, you know, I, I can't wait to see her compete, wrestle. Yep. It, it wasn't just, uh, you know, not not to, you know, name drop anyone else, but Sable or Sonny, you know, it wasn't all about their physical attributes anymore. And you know, like, as you mentioned, you know, we have Test and Albert, TNA being managed by Trish Stratus. Trish is, is you know, strictly a, a valet in this, you know, portion of their their rivalry. And of course, this is a famous rivalry that develops into, you know, an, a very long on again, off again feud between, you know, Lita and Trish that lasted until Trish uh, retired in 2006. But uh, this is where they would go ahead and have their first uh, match. They would see a six person tag match here. And this is at Fully Loaded July 2000. This is Lita's first pay-per-view, you know, action as she teamed with the Hardy Boys to battle, as we said, Trish, Test, and Albert. The explosive contest kicked off that year's uh, pay-per-view and featured a breakout performance from Lita. So with her athleticism and daredevil attitude on full display, it had, it had never been like just so expertly woven into the fabric of the match the way it was on that night. She was delivering flying head scissors and tornado DDTs to, to both Test and Albert, men that were much, much larger than her, and it showed a complete lack of fear in doing so. She could have crashed and burned, and she could have eaten a nasty slam or a punishing finisher, but she didn't. She soared through the air and soared, you know, the victory for her team. And as, as you know, Bleach Report says here, it was a dazzling display from a woman destined to be an all-time great. And I, I you know, agree with that 1,000%. This this match is, is, you know, one of my favorites as well, just, you know, to to see someone, you know, really have their in-ring debut and on this level where you see a female talent much, much smaller in stature take down, you know, two hulking, intimidating male wrestlers. It was unprecedented and just incredible. It was, you know, team extreme. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, it is interesting that, you know, and we'll talk about this when we get towards the tail end about, like, how different Lita and Trish were beginning of this rivalry towards the end. But yes, uh, we did see Lita involving herself in a lot of intergender matches. Um, again, some really don't see, well, too, too much. You still see them every now and then, but not to the, um, well, for lack of a better word, extreme, uh, when it comes to these matches. So 
Um, we even saw them as part of a main event on the July 31st episode, 2000 episode of Raw in Lita's hometown of Atlanta. Tag match between and, Lita and not to cut you off, but yeah. this is the, the funny part is is that you know you just said it yourself. Main event of Raw, a female is main eventing Raw. Right. And you know a lot of times when people think about oh yeah well Trish and Lita main evented Raw in their infamous you know title match. No, this was in the summer of 2000. It was an explosive time for Lita. And, you know, she was the hottest female superstar, you know, regardless of, of gender, <laughs> really. And she was getting a, a huge push. And at this time, you know, the, the boss's daughter was the women's champion. She held the title. So um, leading up to this, you know, Lita had several opportunities to defeat Stephanie McMahon Helmsley, who was recently married to Triple H uh, for the women's title. But she lost every single time due to interference. And therefore, it was set up that The Rock would be the special guest referee to go ahead and, and, you know, try and bring order to this match. Now, when the match began, you know, Triple H and Kurt Angle uh, came down ringside to go ahead and be, you know, there for Stephanie. So the Hardy Boys would uh, also be in Lita's corner to help ensure that the match between Lita and Stephanie would, you know, not be interfered with. So with the odds even, Lita delivered a huge moonsault to the billion-dollar princess, and she ended up capturing her first championship in WWE. You know, The Rock was the, the big equalizer there. He went ahead and he uh, <laughs> he hit, you know, the, it, <laughs> just a, a glorious, you know, slam onto Stephanie, and that led to the moonsault coming. And, my God, you know, the, the, the pop and ovation that Lita received when she yep. grabbed her first women's title was incredible just just next level so a lot of people think that women main eventing raw was happened in later on in 2004 uh which is the trish lita match which we will get to but nope it actually belongs to the matchup between stephanie and lita um again so it's just interesting how like lita makes history by being in this first women's matches main eventing on raw and stephanie and winning the title you never saw any other women taking the stage like this during the Attitude Era, not even Trish at this time. Yeah, and and as I had said, you know, I, to see The Rock hit a spine buster on Stephanie, and then Lita with that perfect moonsault, it, it, the crowd popped. It, it was historic. It really was, and it wasn't just historic for the women's division, but for you know the, the company at that time. And you know, I, I can't imagine how proud and, and and you know humbled she must have felt in that moment. But I know at home I was cheering like no other. I, it just it was such a, a great underdog tale to see her you know accomplish so much so quickly. And the way Stephanie was such a, a, a heinous heel, she really was. You know, she was detestable, and her and her then you know <laughs> newly married husband Triple H were just really running a gambit on you know all the competition at that point in time and really controlling every aspect of the show. So, but I had forgotten not about that match, but the fact that that was the main event of raw at that time, I had always gone to the fact, as you said, that, you know, her later match with Trish would be the first time the women main evented. And that's kind of how WWE presents it as well at times, which is odd, but no, that that was actually not the case. So crazy stuff, right? But I mean, what's even crazier is that Lita actually held that women's championship uh, for 73 days, so a little over two months, which of course included retaining her title in a hardcore match against Jacqueline, which I didn't even realize they the women were in a hardcore match uh, before 2002. That's another, again, 
interesting moment that nobody ever thought of. Uh, in the course of her reign, though, Lita did, of course, become involved in the storyline feud between the Hardys and Edge and Christian. In, in retaliation for constantly interfering in their matches, uh, Edge and Christian ultimately did cost Lita the Women's Championship, helping Ivory defeat her in a fatal four-way on the November 2nd episode of SmackDown. Uh, Ivory, of course, was part of Right to Censor at the time, which targeted Lita for her attire and moves. Uh, Lita attempted to regain the title, uh, wrestling Ivory at Survivor Series and Rebellion, but, of course, no such luck thanks to good old dastardly Stevie Richards. Uh, however, she did re spend the remainder of her year in a storyline. Oh, crap. This is this. Just bear with me on this sentence because it's very interesting. She spent the remainder of the year in a storyline with Dean Malenko, who is trying to be her suitor, but she's trying he's trying to like woo her, and on one occasion, and I can't believe I'm saying this, challenged him for the light heavyweight championship. What the heck? Yes. And this is something I had forgotten about because it just was so quick to happen, but you know, she she I forgot that she feuded with Dean Malenko in, in early two thousand one. She defeated him in singles bout, you know, uh, later in February that year on Raw with the assistance of Matt Hardy. And this is where their on-screen relationship would begin. Hardy kissed Lita, beginning, you know, their on-screen relationship and turning their real-life romance, which was already occurring, you know, behind the scenes into a storyline. But I had totally forgotten that her and Dean Malenko had this feud that led to her and Matt, you know, being revealed as a couple on screen. And, you know, from here we would see the two of them, Matt and Lita, wrestle in, in several intergender tag team matches throughout the early part of the year. So, uh, I do remember, I think you guys should definitely, if you have the chance to check out some of the Lita-Dean Malenko thing, especially there's one where, like, he tries to, like, get her in bed and then Matt's there. I can't remember the whole thing. You have to, you just, just go see it yourself. Like, Lita, like, smashing the vase over his head that he had, like, flowers. It, it's, you gotta see the whole thing. Just go Google it. Trust me. Trust me on that. Yeah, it is um, on the network. You know, you can see it. It's in the uh, July, uh, excuse me, January uh, first two weeks of Raw for January 2000. It's good stuff. But, I mean, it's interesting because now we're getting into 2001, and Lita really didn't do a whole heck of a lot um, as far as in-ring stuff um, from a... Um, you know, as far as advancement, you know, uh, at this point, what happens with Lita is that she's actually joining forces with Trish because of the alliance angle. So, of course, this is when WCW and ECW merged. This is 2001. I know we could all wish to forget this, but it happened. So, in yeah, July, leading into this point in time, you know, up in, you know, because it's a, it's a big gap, but that's pretty much all that occurred. You know, her and Matt would, would, uh, you know, on again, off again, do these intergender tag team matches. But she was also still accompanying, you know, the Hardy Boys. So that was pretty much all there was to it at this point. You know, you had TLC that she was a part of, and you know, she she was she was helping them, you know, and still in that managerial position. But her solo career was kind of put in the back burner in the meantime. Right. So realistically, and I'm going to kind of breeze through um, the Alliance stuff because not too too much happened. Um, she did, like I said, join up with Trish to take on Stacey Keebler and Tori Wilson for the most part. Uh, yeah, that was the it, first ever tag team bra and panties match. And, oh, yeah. You know, they <laughs> Lita and, and Stratus, they ended up winning that match. And like you said, they, they you know, would, would feud with Jacqueline and the other Alliance members, uh, you know, Keebler, Wilson, Ivory, and Molly Holly, who was Mighty Molly at that point in time. Yep. Which we had discussed previously. So, 
Yep, on that Hurricane episode. Make sure you check it out. Um, so, of course, they ended the invasion storyline at Survivor Series of 2001. Lita took place in a six-pack challenge to crown the then-vacated Women's Championship because, of course, China, who was the champion, had vacated the month, uh, vacated the title earlier that month. Trish, though, would ultimately win the match in the championship. So, again, 2001, really not a whole lot except for a weird angle at the very end. So, Survivor Series is in November of 2001. And in late 2001, they kind of did this thing where they were teasing the Hardy Boys splitting up. It was a weird, it was a weird thing because I could see what they were trying to do, but at the same time, eh, it didn't really catch on. Like at this point, it was pretty clear that like Lita and Matt were dating, and then they were trying to do this thing where like uh the 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 brothers were rivals and then Lita refereed a match between the two of them at Vengeance at the next pay-per-view um but Jeff won the match and then it was because she did see Matt's leg under the rope and they continued this they kept going after the pay-per-view and I thought this was going to lead to something but then it was like Matt defeated Lita and Jeff in a handicap match and then um <laughs> it was just weird. Like Matt, because yeah, after that, you know, he said that to Lita that both their relationship and the Hardy Boys were finished. So it was, it was, you know, compelling to the fans because no one wanted to see the Hardy Boys break up, nor did right. we want to see Lita and Matt break up. So it was, you know, hard for the fans to accept, and it kind of seemed like Matt was making a bit of a heel turn. But then Jeff, like, it, it was, it was oddly booked to say the least. And uh, well, you know, wait, how about when they get written off TV? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even all more three so. of them. It wasn't yeah. just one. It was just all. What the fuck? What? Yeah. The Undertaker, you know, on the December seventeenth episode of Raw, you know, it, unfortunately Jeff and Lita were sidelined with storyline injuries. You know, between uh, you know Jeff and WWE Hardcore Champion The Undertaker. So, the injuring of both you know his brother and ex girlfriend led to a reconciliation between the members of Team Extreme, and. You know, they, they were all taken out by The Undertaker at this point. And then we led to December 20th episode of SmackDown where Matt faced The Undertaker, but then was also injured. So all three members of Team Extreme were removed from television for several weeks, uh, all at the hands of the Phenom. I'm not saying that, like, it was a bad thing to do. It was just you had this big highlighting program that broke up, you know, arguably one of the more popular tag teams. And then... Yeah, the payoff, you know, you, you did all you could to make it compelling for them to split, you know, playing the brothers against each other and using Lita as a bargaining chip, essentially, you know, they, they kind of held her hostage against each other. And then the payoff for it was them all being sidelined by The Undertaker, and that forced them to reconcile. So it was just, why have them break up if, the, you know, a few weeks later, you're just going to have them sidelined and removed from TV, but have them, you know, forget like anything happened, let bygones be bygones. So it was just very odd that they chose to do this in such a way. Now, speaking of odd, it gets even weirder now. And I'm going to. Yeah. Also, really quickly, too. Not yeah, to yeah. Off, I apologize, but that was kind of a, 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 you know, a commonality at that point in time for booking. They had, especially thanks to the invasion, an overflowing amount of talent and not a great idea of what to do with everyone. And that's kind of why the brand split eventually would, would you know, come to surface. And because they, they just, you know, they had too much talent and it was way too difficult to focus on everyone and give everyone, you know, the fair shake of, of you know, story time. So 
So it was even weirder because unfortunately Lita does make her return with the Hardys uh, around February of 2002. So they're off for about a month and a half or so. And I think you're right. I think it was more due to creative issues. Uh, we did see Lita actually try to once again get the Women's Championship and actually making her in-ring WrestleMania debut at WrestleMania 18 in that triple threat between her, Jazz, and Trish. Uh, ultimately, Jazz would retain the title by pinning Lita. But then something very peculiar happened. So while at this time, uh, in April, uh, she was filming uh, the uh, on the Fox show Dark uh, Angel. Before you get to this part, yeah. um, really, really quick, Something I want to bring up that has always been a great point of contention for me. Lita was one of the most important female wrestlers to me of, of not just her generation, but in women's wrestling. And she only wrestled at WrestleMania once. And it yep. came as such a, a fart in the wind, basically. Because not only did you have a triple threat match for the, for the women's championship at WrestleMania last barely six minutes barely six minutes but it was used as a palate cleanser because it came right after the rock deafening hogan. yeah rock yeah. hogan match that killed the crowd so they used this match to kind of yep. you know be a bathroom break and give people a chance to you know cool their jets after being worked into a frenzy in toronto by you know rock and hogan so it was basically a means to just, to, to just get the fans a chance to simmer down. And Lita didn't have a, a bigger in-ring role at WrestleMania, and that her one appearance was basically an afterthought is shocking to me. She deserved so much more considering how much she helped shape women's wrestling in WWF and WWE. So while to make just Jake's point clear, Lita would show up at other WrestleManias in the future, which we're going to talk about. But as far as competing in the ring at WrestleMania, this is her only which is weird to think, right? She never competed. It's, it's in, so bizarre that, it, that she, she never competed again. This is it. She never competed in any other WrestleMania match. She may have like been involved as like a valet or, you know, a side piece or whatever you want to call it, a manager. But as far as her in-ring matches at WrestleMania, this is it. So, whoop, whoop. but um, no, that's that's a good point, Jake. I, I'm glad you brought that up. But again, continuing on a very weird pattern for her for for 2002. She actually ended up not competing for the rest of 2002 and ended up would not be returning back. Um, you ready for this? For 17 months. And wait to hear this story. Yeah, so, poor thing. Talking about a bad luck. So on April 6th, she was filming for a fight scene in the role of the season finale of the TV show Dark Angel, which was Fox. Uh, she appeared to be getting a stinger. So nothing major, but the rehearsal required that she practice the Hurricane Rana that would be used in the episode. However, the stunt double Doom Amy was working with dropped her as she swung the move, causing her to land on her neck and shoulders. So of course and she people often complain about the WWE medical, you know, staff. And, you know, there's but Lita actually uh praised them, you know, when she had, had the, the stinger and scorpion landing when, you know, she faced Trish on the main event of Raw, you know, later down the road. You know, they were they were attentive to her needs. Well, come to find out with this, you know, she, she couldn't get up for a long time and she she had so much pain. Her arm was numb, you know, and, and no one on set, James Cameron's, you know, production team, all this, you know, high Hollywood, you know, budget. Right. No one not even paid attention, but gave a damn. And it took, you know, uh, quite some time to get any type of medical attention to her. And that, that's one of the things that she, you know, was outspoken about how just piss poor it all was 
And it was the WWE side of things that, that helped her, you know, really get the necessary surgery that she would need. You know, she underwent a CAT scan and it showed that, that, you know, botched move on the, you know, the Dark Angel set that, you know, led to her having three cracks in her vertebrae, you know, and so her spine was, was, uh, you know, just absolutely destroyed from this. And uh, she would undergo neck surgery. Yep. by Dr. Youngblood. But here's the the thing. Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, helped her throughout this point in time, which yes. I don't know if a lot of people know, but she uh, she was in the hospital and she was being told that, you know, the surgery she needs was going to force her to retire. And the doctors there would not let her go from the hospital. And she called Stone Cold, who went through a similar, you know, issue that we had discussed in the previous retrospective on Owen Hart. Make sure you check that one out if you haven't heard it yet. Mm-hmm. But Stone Cold helped her, help break her out of the hospital and helped get her to see Dr. Youngblood in Texas. And every time that she would go down either for a follow-up visit post-surgery, she would actually stay at Stone Cold's house. He would let her crash there. So it's just, it was amazing how, you know, integral he was to her recovery because he felt that she would not need to retire and there would be a you know, better uh, treatment option available if she saw the same, you know, specialist that he had seen. So she underwent the surgery and he used a section of her hip to fuse her C5 and 6 vertebrae together. And like you said, she was out for the subsequent years uh, rehabbing and she would, she would make occasional appearances, you know, as a color commentator. But, you know, besides that, there was no wrestling for, for 17 months. Oh, Cole, but the heart of gold, what? <laughs> she paid her rent and bear. Um, no, but um, yeah. So she was she was out for like seventeen months altogether. But she did come back on Raw, part of a new storyline. She was actually, uh, but in in April of twenty two thousand three, they actually fired her for position on commentary by then General Manager Bischoff after she rejected his advances that um, and his request to basically follow in the of Tori Wilson, who was posing for Playboy at the time, to do the same thing. She then returned back uh, in September of 2003. So remember, the last time that we saw her wrestle pretty much was around 2001 with the Hardys and, and the WrestleMania 8. So she'd been gone for 17 months. Yeah, that so, six-minute WrestleMania match. With unreal. No she came back on Raw, saving Trish Stratus from a two-on-one assault from Molly Holly and Gail Kim. I actually remember this one. Crowd went berserk. Of course, it was revealed, ironic as it is, that Austin explained to Bischoff that he had rehired Lita. Not only did Austin save her off camera, he also <laughs> saved her on camera. Yes, because Stone Cold was was you know the the co GM with Bischoff at this point in time. They were so much. you know running rough shop. Yep. <laughs> yes, so, so anywho, moving on, Lita and Trish then went on to defeat Holly and Gail Kim in a tag match, Unforgiven. Uh, Lita then Yes, and this is number five on the list of uh, top matches for her as well, so... Note. Uh, um, make sure you check this one out. This one uh, cannot be understated here. Uh, just, you know, it, it, unbelievable match. You figure with, with that much time away, you wonder, will she still be able to compete on the same level she did before? A lot of people were, you know, apprehensive about her neck and her spinal issues, so is is this going to keep her, you know, out of the ring permanently? And then to see her come back, as you said, the crowd erupted. 
Well, Trish gets in the ring and, and starts taking most of the, the brunt of the beating. And when Leader finally received the hot tag, the crowd exploded. She would end up pinning, you know, the then women's champion Molly Holly, putting her in the title picture right away. So this is the, so this is actually I, I love this next series because of, of what happens, because everything ties in together so well. Pick this up. So bear with me on this on this explanation. OK. The leader starts going into a program with Molly Holly for the women's title. Challengers are at Survivor Series, doesn't win. Um, the next night on Raw, Matt Hardy returns to Raw after being moved SmackDown to Raw, so they're now reunited on TV. So continuing that storyline, um, Molly interrupts as Matt was about to propose to Lita, and then of course making a match where it was Molly and Bischoff against Lita and Matt Hardy. Bischoff had the stipulation that Lita would win a title shot. So if, if Lita won, she'd get a title shot. But if she, uh, but she'd be fired if, um, it would be fired if she lost. So they, so Hardy, so Matt and Lita lost the match after Matt refused to tag in with Hardy just berating Lita for being selfishly, you know, uh, uh, returning to Raw instead of SmackDown. None of this would have happened. Saying she cares more about the title than him. But interestingly enough, Lita was actually rehired that same evening when Christian informed her that he had used his Survivor Series favor to get Bischoff to reinstate her. Now, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, there was a match at Survivor Series. It was a uh, five-on-five men, uh, men's uh, match between Team Bischoff and Team uh, Austin. And Team uh, Bischoff won. Christian was on the team. So Bischoff basically said, "You all, you know, you, I, I all owe you a favor. So that was Christian's favor to get Lita reinstated, which would play into uh, the next major rivalry, sort of. Um, we did see Lita lose to Victoria in the first ever women's steel cage match in history due to interference from Matt Hardy not too long after this. But the fact so is... So again, is that, another first for Lita, you know? Yep. First steel cage match in WWE I, women's history. I don't mean to gloss that over, but I just I want to stay focal on the point of why Christian did this. So with Christian doing this... It now started to to appear that like Lita and Christian were developing an on screen relationship at, on the same time that Trish Stratus and Chris Jericho were doing it. So subsequently, uh, Trish and Lita participated in an intergender tag match as partners on uh, on Raw. But after the match, Stratus overheard Jericho talking to Christian about making a bet where they bo- they basically made a bet on one dollar Canadian on. Who would sleep with their respective woman first? Would Jericho get to sleep with Trish first or Christian get to sleep with Lita first? Uh, so, of course, one week later, the women confronted the men about their real intentions, leading to a feud between of them in a battle of the sexes match at Armageddon where it was Chris Jericho and Christian against Trish and Lita. You will never see this happen again. You will never see this type of match ever happen in WWE again. Um, yeah, exactly. And and the match you know happened at Armageddon. The women, unfortunately, were, were not victorious. But then on Raw, the women went ahead and they would go ahead and face Christian and, you know, Chris Jericho again. And it, it that, again, is, is on the, you know, top list of recommended matches. You know, it's it's Raw uh, December 15th, 2003. So make sure you check that out. Um, you know, both women are, are in the ring and Jericho is being, you know, basically berated by Trish. And he refuses to put his hands on her. He tags out. Christian comes in and starts to manhandle Trish. 
Lita gets the tag in. She rolls up Christian, who becomes irate and starts to, you know, beat down both the women. And finally, uh, the women get the upper hand for the most part. And then Jericho is a bit of a difference maker and slams, you know, Trish down. And it looks like Trish is hurt. He refuses to do anything. You know, he doesn't want to pin her. And that's when Bischoff comes off and, and basically demands that he, you know, finishes the match. It's, it's definitely worth checking out for sure. So once this happens, um, we don't really see too much else of Lita. She does inv- get involved in a fatal four-way match for the women's title in February um, uh, and actually wins the women's championship match. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, yes, she does win. The, uh, no, sorry, Victoria won the match. Uh, so she kind of just floats around the women's division for a few months, and this is early 2004. So we see her competing in the women's division throughout the early uh, early of the year, uh, winning a battle royal to become number contender. Um, Victoria defeated Lita to retain at Backlash, but then the next night on Raw, so now we're in April of 2004, Lita was reunited with Matt Hardy again when Hardy attacked Kane in an attempt to prevent him from harming Lita, um, beginning a new storyline involving them oh boy so in the following weeks kane repeatedly attacked matt trying to seduce lita because that's gonna work uh during the course of the storyline he kidnaps her and actually ties her up backstage um it's 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 freaking nuts because this is this is when kane's unmasked at this point just going rampant yeah and you know this is this is basically uh, Matt's, you know, trying to be the white knight here and, and stand up for his female, you know, compadre, he, never, but he, he just he, gets his ass kicked every time. He got destroyed consistently. He he didn't even come close, for the most part, to, to even being equal with Kane for quite some time. And, and it was just beating after beating after beating. So, uh, you know, he's attempting to seduce Lita, like you said, and she's kidnapped, and he persuades Eric Bischoff to give her a title shot at Bad Blood where she was defeated by Trish Stratus in a fatal four-way match that also included Gail Kim and defending champion Victoria. So the next night on Raw, this is the bombshell here. Lita reveals, dun-dun-dun, she's pregnant. Hey, and I'm one week later, it's, it's appeared that Hardy was going to propose to Lita, uh, but he's interrupted by Kane, who, who now says that he's the father of Lita's child. Thank you, Mori so, Povich. Yeah. Now, the, the storyline was, you know, again, even with the brain split, it, you know, it wasn't always week to week that this got updated. So, it, it you know, you, you might have a week or two in between that there was, you know, no continuation of the story just because of the amount of wrestlers and talent. But two months later, it was revealed that Kane was, in fact, the father. And this is, you know, found out that when he kidnapped Lita, he basically, you know, it's, 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 it's insinuated that he raped her. So he drugged and raped her at that time. And now she's pregnant. Be a star, with... kids. Yeah, be a star. Don't be a bully. Oh, but wait, there's more. So Hardy and Kane feuded for several months, culminating in a till death do us part match, uh, you know, August 15th <laughs> at SummerSlam with the stipulation that Lita would be obliged to force to marry the winner of the match. Kane won the match and leading to a he and a reluctant Lita marrying each other on the uh, following Raw. So despite being married to Kane and that that marriage, you know, was Matt comes out and tries to make the save and just gets beat down and (laughs) Lita ends up getting married, you know. So despite being married to Kane, Lita thwarted him during his matches and constantly, you know, trying to help whoever Kane was facing. She was always aiding his opponents. And on the September 13 episode of Raw, 
Lita went ahead and got bumped into by Gene Snitsky. After he struck Kane with a chair, he bumped into Lita and uh, he hit Kane with the chair and Kane then fell, fell on, on top Lita, right. Lita. Yeah. And that forced her to have a miscarriage. And the miscarriage Jesus. led to Lita and Kane. Uh, you know, Lita was in the hospital that night and she's very emotional. And, you know, Jim Ross does an interview to follow up and. You see Kane, like, you know, storming the hallways of the hospital saying that he's going to get revenge. And you see her just, you know, stone-faced and, and, and just so emotional and crying. And you figure she, she originally didn't want to be married to this monster. But now, you know, they, they had a, you know, a unified goal in revenge against Snitsky, whose catchphrase now turned out to be it wasn't my fault <laughs> so let's let's fucking let's back up here for a second and just really take a look and try to give you some highlights of what we just described to you holy crap baskets okay so she's with matt everything's hunky-dory we see kane suit her try to seduce her essentially rapes her gets her pregnant Kane and Matt have a match to figure out who marries her. Kane wins. He's always winning. It's poor freaking poor Matt this time. Uh, they get off. They rush off to get married. They're together reluctantly. And she then has a miscarriage because he falls on top of her. And we get the birth of Snitsky as a character. It, I just... You thought the Attitude Era was weird, man. This one was just... I... I... I don't, I don't, I don't know what's gonna top that, but we're, we're, jeez. Anyway, moving yeah, on. And, and unfortunately, you know, we try and keep it away from their personal lives and more focus on, you know, their in-ring accolades and stories and whatnot. But unfortunately, it gets a bit messy coming up, and and things kind of all become interwoven, and yeah. real life, you know, is is mimicked. Unfortunately, on air. Uh, it's at this time shortly where, you know, Lita would uh, tear her ACL in a match. And, you know, Lita had to practically kill herself just to beat me, Trish says, you know, and it, it because, you know, Lita's title reign was supposed to gain more momentum and length after she, you know, captures the women's championship from uh, Trish Stratus on the December 6th episode of Monday Night Raw. So, of course, this is, you know, their big, you know, Monday night main event on Raw, and that everyone usually gives them such fan for over, rightfully so. Right. So to back, sorry, Jake, just to back up a little bit here. So after the whole pregnancy thing, we see Lita kind of going back to the women's division and challenging and feuding with Trish for the championship. At this point, Trish is now a full-blown heel, and she kind of referred to, like, and, and making, basically mocking Lita for her pregnancy and miscarriage afterwards so at this point yeah, in the end of chubby and right at the end of 2004 going into early 2005 that's when this happened when there was a match between the two and, and lita um tore her acl uh which unfortunately uh ultimately cut their match off at new year's revolution in early 2005 yeah it shortened her you know title reign drastically and and also the note you know, uh, the, the match, of course, this is number two on the list of top five matches, you know, when she faced Trish at Raw for the main event. Um, you know, it's it's one of the highest profile women's matches and one of the highest rated for the longest time, too. 
And Lita nearly suffered another major injury. It was a huge scare because she mistimed her suicide dive on Trish to the outside and ended up, you know, basically doing a scorpion landing where she brought yeah. her entire neck backwards. Really horrific to, to watch. Great that she was able to walk away from it. It was so scary, though. But Lita captured her second women's championship then, like we said, and it proved in every sense why the two are considered, you know, the biggest trailblazers. But... Uh, you know, such such compelling high spots in the match, and they, they really gave it all they could here, and it shows. Unfortunately, like we said, another injury happens, with, you know, with her ACL, and uh, she she's, you know, just, un- she was unable to finish the match, and was they, they had a rushed finish, and she was uh, off television for quite some time, not as not as long as before, but, you know, a few few months after that. So. She did come back to TV uh, mentoring Christy Hemi, getting ready for Christy's match with Trish at WrestleMania 1. Hemi would still lose. Uh, Lita continued feuding with Trish for a couple of weeks. Um, Kane beating Stratus' companion Viscera at Backlash on May 1st, but really wasn't anything to write home. Now... You thought that craziness with the pregnancy and Kane stuff was uh, was something. Oh boy, um, let's talk about the Edge situation. So to kind of I, before we even get into this part of it, because this is when things start to develop on camera, I, I think we want to kind of go back a little bit here, um, in terms of the timing of everything here. So so from what I understand, and and Jake, you probably have better notes of. Probably correct me that I'm wrong, but um, Matt at this point, the main reason that they did the whole Kane versus Matt Hardy thing and and, and Matt being written off of TV was because he was in. So he was out. Matt had to go ahead and take some time off for for quite a while. So in the midst of that time, um, around April, um, he, uh, he did reveal in a blog incident uh, on on his blog, the the whole incident that we're about to talk to you about Adam Copeland Edge and Amy Dumas Lita, um, and that was sort of I'd say that was the actual reason it was released, but I mean it was kind of like, okay, there's three people here, one of them has to go. Yeah, kinda... well, so it's a mess. Part of it, you know, we saw Matt turn on Lita because he said, you know, oh, you you didn't support me. You went to Raw instead of SmackDown. And part of that was kind of a bit of truth. And then he was injured. And the issue was is that that was her, you know, riding buddy. There's, there's long hours. You have to drive from place to place. You know, that's part of life on the road. So she continued to ride and started riding more with Edge. And they had developed a very close personal relationship at this point in time it wasn't anything physical it was a uh, you know strictly mental but they they became you know very entwined with one another because they were spending all this time together and hardy said that you know it was valentine's day later that year where he came home with a bunch of stuff for lita while she was still recovering and she had nothing for him and he had found on her cell phone a text message from edge that said you know something like i miss you love you and she she played it off as it being just a you know oh he's just a close friend type thing but hardy was suspicious and shortly thereafter he found a second cell phone that she had had while she was away um he he went ahead and found the second cell phone edge had laid out his plans to be with her and left it all on voicemails 
Matt heard the whole thing. Lita came back home and he played the entire series of voicemails for Edge's wife, uh, as well as, you know, kicked Lita out of house and home. And it was uh, a whole mess. It was a big mess, unfortunately. And they they went ahead and when they were supposed to get back to TV, they couldn't get along together. There was, uh, you know, a bunch of issues. They told Matt not to come to the house show. Uh, that, you know, they wanted, but he wanted to, Matt wanted to prove that, oh, I can work with them. I can be civil. And when he did show up after being explicitly told not to, Edge's tires on his rental car were cut. Now, we don't know if it was Matt or somebody else with a, you know, grievance for the situation or for some other reason that did this, but it was this along with everything else that was leading up to it that led to Matt being released. And, you know, now the fans start to pick up because, you know, Matt takes all of her pictures off of his blog. Then he makes the notice on the blog. Then he actually creates a full reenactment of what had happened. He makes a, a whole, you know, like uh, just just his, his side of things video, basically a, a mini documentary of him finding the phone. And he uses a cardboard cutout of Lita to, to <laughs> stand in for her. I'm laughing now. I mean, then it's not funny, but you, you see him portray all of this in real time with his cardboard cutout. And, you know, he proceeds to upload these random segments where he's, you know, berating and punishing the cardboard cutout, refusing to give it food and making <laughs> it stay outside, things like that. So I, I, you're right. I shouldn't laugh, but obviously. You know, yeah, but it but is yeah. it is humorous, you know. And, and so we, we get through all of this and it it was just a a huge mess and unfortunately she said that you know we were slightly disconnected when i was home recuperating because he was still 100% into his career and i was 100% out of it and she kept saying like you know what if i can't go back to wrestling are we going to be together you know the way we view our lives or interests they didn't align and she said you know her and edge were just kind of like oh shit you know once we started to realize that we were more than just two bros hanging out um, when we, you know, it was all just mental, but when they finally did kiss, they freaked out and they separated. They didn't see each other for, you know, two weeks at that point in time. And they finally decided that, you know, we need to do what's right for our world. And, and then, you know, the love triangle became a storyline, you know, they, they, the fans were enraged that Matt was not only losing his girlfriend, but he lost his job as well. And there was a huge outpouring of support for WWE to rehire Matt Hardy. And Lita was, was not about it at first. You know, she said, I just think, I think just acceptance of me with all my flaws and acceptance of everyone else and all their flaws is what I learned. But she said, they, they want to turn this into a stories, but you guys have to be professional. And she said, you know, Matt hasn't been professional, but there is money involved in the story. And Lita said that she felt terrible. He lost his job over it. And so did Edge. So she's like, we'll made our bed, we'll lie in it. She didn't want to do the angle, but she knew that if she said no, he wouldn't get his job back. So the only reason she agreed to do this on air was to make sure Matt got rehired. So I, I give her so much credit for that, knowing that as uncomfortable and as bad as she was going to look through all of this, you know, the optics were, were pitted against her. She She looked like the cheating whore, when in all actuality, it was it was much less uh, incestuous and and you know <laughs> evil at that point. You know, so it wasn't you know uh, it, it was a mess though. So you know, she she did allow 
her feelings to be put to the side just so Matt could get his job back. And I give her the utmost credit for that. And I do know that they all sat down start before they started this thing, obviously. But this is, you know, and I have to give credit to the three of them because I mean, it wasn't, I, I know it wasn't easy for, especially for Matt, but obviously it wasn't easy for all the people to sit down like adults and like power through it. And at the end, you know, everything uh, worked out, I think, in the long run. But let's kind of go back to what happened. That was That's just behind the scenes. Yeah, this let's, is all behind the scenes, you know. Right. So no one knew it until WWE came out with Edge being the guy, you know. They, they had kind of heated that, you know, so she had cheated and, you know, they, they made little, you know, <laughs> basically, you know, little, like, hints and nods. But Raw's ratings were doing, you know, okay. And, and it was this story that you know made raw kind of you know raise back up in the ratings department right they were doing very well week to week with this angle so so basically they wrote off the kane storyline or basically lita screwed kane over the gold rush tournament uh revealing he'd been faking an injury helping edge out so of course this made lita become a heel for the first and interestingly enough the only time in her entire career which is um she of course then mentioned that she had filed a divorce and then Littling Kane. Um, she then attempted to marry Edge on Raw, June 20th episode, but the marriage ceremony got interrupted by Kane. Of course, they um, they escaped from the ring, and then, of course, the Kane, the storyline with Then, things kind of appeared with situation, and so it actually, I remember very vividly watching Raw at this time and watching how, like, there was a lot of things they did with this that was very, and obviously it's more at. Yeah, he it inter- broke the fourth wall. The announcers weren't giving him any sort of notoriety. They weren't mentioning him. Hell, Matt Hardy promoted Ring of Honor in 2005, yeah, he, which he was said, like, whoa. You know, WWE can kiss my ass. and See me at Ring of well, Honor well, this first weekend. He first, attacked, he attacked Edge backstage. Right. And they, they made no... It was like a shaky cam type footage, and they made, like you said, no mention of it. It wasn't replayed. It wasn't brought back up. It, it looked like it was something that wasn't supposed to be seen. Then Matt attacked Edge that same night, you know, and, and security, you know, pulled him apart and took him out. And like you said, they, they even ad- addressed him as a fan at one point. And he would do these attacks for the next few weeks of time. It would happen again and again. And they went ahead and finally, you know, he he gets a microphone and goes ahead and says, hey, you know, you said he promoted Matt did he promoted Ring of Honor. He told you know WWE can kiss his ass. He doesn't need them, and it led to Vince saying, uh, "I'm I'm you know he brought Matt into the ring weeks later and said I'm gonna you know I'm gonna rehire you, and that's what's best for business at this point in time. Yep. And therefore you know they you saw Lita you know as Edge's valet really go ahead and and sink into the the heel role and the crowd tore her apart at this point in time you know you had constant whore and slut chants but she took it in stride and she really really you know turned up the heat and i think that she was truly one of the best female heels oh yeah i could say almost ever honestly she garnered true heel heat not go away heat like you know we've seen others again you know like, like eva marie you know <laughs> yeah she got real tension uh real you know emotion she 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 helped the fans experience the heartache that matt felt and you wanted to see her get you know her comeuppance and it, it, it was just so much 
credit to her for for flipping this on its head and making it something you know larger than life so agree from here that the two of them you know have several matches the first is when edge defeats hardy at SummerSlam, and it, it wasn't a great match unfortunately matt gets busted open on the uh the, the turnbuckle post early on and they end the match to the blood loss but it didn't really make matt look like a badass because you saw hulk hogan bleed uh, might like a you know, fountain with Shawn Michaels later on in the night, and they didn't stop the match then. And so it, it really was a disservice to them at that point in time. And then they went ahead and they had uh, a, a ladder match. And, uh, you know, it, it, I, I thought actually there was a cage match before the ladder match. Yes, there was a cage match. Yeah, yep. there was a cage match, and that's yes. finally where... Uh, Matt Hardy won, and that's right. where he did the leg drop from the top of the cage on yep. the edge. Right. And he actually said that shortened his career more than anything else <laughs> that he did in any TLC match combined. The so. latter match was, I actually remember this, this was Raw Homecoming. It's when Raw went back to USA Network, and, yes. he put, and they put the Money in the Bank briefcase on the line. So the winner on got the, the Money line. in the Bank, and the loser got fired, and this is a way to write Hardy off, and that sent Matt Hardy back over to SmackDown. Uh, which I thought yeah, was, it was a genius. A loser, uh, leaves raw match. Yes, yes. So I thought that was pretty. Cool. So, so at this point, um, wrapped up that thing with a nice little. Yeah, because WWE in the back felt that they couldn't have them on the same show together. Still, it just wasn't smart move. Something that was going to work, and it yeah. did help elevate you know Matt to a new level. He was able to go on and get the you know the U.S. title after this and ECW championship, and Edge was already be, you know supposed to be facing John Cena, so they delayed the SummerSlam match against Cena for a new year's revolution, you know, and, and, uh, it, it, it just really, it edge gained more from it, obviously, yes. but they really went ahead and, uh, you know, they handled it as, as best as anybody could. So I, I give Lita tons of credit for being in something so uncomfortable and making the best of it. So at this point, they're off to the races with Lita and edge. She of course helps edge. Uh, well, I shouldn't say help, but, was ringside when Edge, of course, cashed in Money in the Bank briefcase and won WWE Championship against John Cena, New Year's Revolution. This is five, uh, of course. Um, <laughs> we have the live sex celebration, which was just Yeah, fantastic. this is one of the highest rated WWE Raw segments ever. Boy. Um, I, I'm Pull want, up they, the exact rating here. They wanted to know what the but, color of the sheets were going to be. <laughs> the rating was, I think, a 7.3, I believe. Holy crap. That's uh, nuts. The joke is always it got a 69, but. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But, um, of, of course, that's that was kind of one of the more uh, higher. Um, of course, at that point, it didn't last the entire evening because they were interrupted by Ric Flair, who Edge called a disgrace, and he was horrible in the sack. Flair, of course, then, of course, ended up receiving another concerto to the announcer's table as Cena came out to Flair's aid and performed F.U. on Lita. Um, it looks like the... Uh, I have here the live sex celebration earned a raw rating of a 5.2. 5.2? Yeah, which is the highest raw rating Okay. Over oh, it was a 7... Okay, that was the 18 demographic. I see. There. Yeah, five point two for the. Yeah, that's why. So, so of course, this led to Edge calling himself the most watched. Almost seventy percent of the eighteen demographic for that night. Wow. Still, Jesus, <laughs> holy hell. 
Yeah, so, five point two for that, and and you know, there's there's a lot of back and forth with this, but uh, you know, Lita had said that Vince wanted her entirely naked under the you know, <laughs> under the the covers that they had set up, and she wasn't comfortable with that, but he was very uh, adamant, so she was at least topless, and they actually had you know some wardrobe malfunctions that happened, you know, that they were able to cut away from, but. If they were worried about wardrobe malfunctions, why have her actually be naked, Vince? You know, it's it's one of those things like gotta be real. You know what a, what a conundrum. And funny enough, though, like I said, that that you know, eighteen demographic is one of the highest, and it was the highest raw rating in over a year at that point in time. So Edge got to call himself, like you said, the most watched champion. Just just what a uh, you know <laughs> illustrious note in your career. So, uh, I mean, hey, I'm actually rewatching it right now. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, of course, um, lead a team with Edge in a loss to Cena Maria mixed tagged. Uh, Edge would ultimately lose that WWE championship, but did continue to manage Edge into mid-2006, of course, with his rivalry with Mick Foley at WrestleMania 22. Uh, in May uh, 2006, Foley actually joined forces with Edge and Lita, with the trio defeating Foley's ECW rivals Terry Funk, Tommy Dreamer, and the beautiful Abulah McGillicuddy uh, at the impromptu six-person tag match at One Night Stand after Edge speared Beulah, which was that I thought was hilarious. Um, on August 14th episode of Raw, Lita won her third women's championship by meeting Mickey James. She then, of course, lost the title to her longtime rival Stratus at Unforgiven in September of 2006 in Stratus's retirement match. Um, and this, this is this is a weird little segment too because the next night on Raw, they of course vacated the women's title, and a tournament was crowned to crown the new champion, which Lita won the tournament. Uh, on November 5th at Cyber Sunday, defeating Mickey James in the first ever Lumber Jill match. And throughout the month, Lita made James compete in several handicap matches, like having a hand tied behind her back, being blindfolded. Uh, but of course, on November 20th, she did announce that her final match, Lita's final match, would be at Survivor Series. Uh, Lita ultimately would, interestingly enough, lose that final match uh, and the Women's Championship to Mickey James, who he'd been feuded with. And of course, due to Lita's retirement, her relationship with Edge just basically ended at that event with no written, like no explanation, no interview, no like wrapping of tying with a bow here, which as we talked about before we got on the air here was unfortunately one of the biggest, unfortunately letdowns as far as her send off go. Yeah. There's, there's really few superstars who can claim to revolutionize anything in their careers. Legitimately Lita's one of them. And, and for many noteworthy reasons, as we've discussed so far, and, you know, she later, uh, you know, gets her, you know, well-deserved respect, but talk about a terrible ending. I mean, she she had even said uh, in an interview I watched earlier today, she went to every member of creative, the board, Vince McMahon, and argued against them. And, she, you know, she, she actually called herself the redheaded stepchild of WWE, not just, you know, in the sense of hair color, but how she was treated. You know, she was pretty much bastardized from the start, she felt, and that was something that followed her in her career. And you can kind of see that, you know, in spades at times with how she had to deal with certain things. And although she had an explosive debut, her, her retirement was anything but. Uh, you know, fans wondered how they would pay tribute to one of the most influential females, given her status as a heel. Uh, she was still being booed heavily by the crowd because she had worked as a, as a heel so effectively for all this time with Edge. I mean, she was even uh, a huge factor in the WrestleMania match with Edge 
and uh, Mick Foley, you know, the hardcore match there. So she, you know, certainly uh, had, had earned her stripes as a heel and for them to just try and flip her as a face may not have worked, but I think they could have done more than what they did. You know, the fans got their answer in Philadelphia as she was not only beaten by Mickey James and lost her title, but she was disgraced and humiliated afterwards by crime time. It, it was so distasteful and unfortunate. I mean, it's a it's a tricky. I, I see what you're saying. I, I completely I get where you're coming at. That it definitely was a little lackluster. And I think there was a bunch of things that made it lackluster. It's one thing to lose and kind of being disgraced on your way out because look at there. There's you know you're supposed to do the job on your way, and, and putting over Mickey in the championship I think was the right call. Prime time thing, you know, and and even that she to an extent. Can, she can give, you know, the the rub to Mickey James. That's fine, you know. Just just like you know, Trish had lost, and you know, before. Oh, now Trish gets the win on her way out. All right, that, that's that's okay, what I was going to bring up. I think the problem that's that the problem, right? I think the the thing that was kind of, um, I think what made it a little lackluster was the fact that you just had Lita just lost to Trish. Trish had the huge, glorious send-off in Toronto, because it was at Unforgiven in 2006, Toronto. So she, like, retired as the women's champion. So Trish kind of had, like, this much more grandiose send-off. And then two months later, it's like, oh, by the way, we're losing, too. It's like, well, it definitely felt, like, so lesser than um, by yeah, comparison. If, if they wanted to do it this way, they could have had her, you know, lose the title at Survivor Series. And then go into the next night saying we're gonna, you know, celebrate her and say goodbye for her last match. You know, right. announce it that way. I mean, even and like have a, her beat somebody else. Right. And I mean, again, only like two months apart. If it was a yeah, year later, I think Mickey it would James felt still gets elevated. Yeah, exactly. Mickey James gets elevated by beating Lita for the women's championship, and Trish, you know, gets the win. So so does Lita. Lita gets the win on her way out. It's it's you know what's fair is fair. And Lita did say in the interview that, you know, they, they always knew that was the trajectory that, you know, Trish had. And this was the trajectory that Lita had. They, they were different in that sense. You know, Trish would win, Lita would lose. And, but it was all, even if she just lost and she got beat for the title, okay. But it was everything with crime time afterwards, you know, trying to sell all of her personal hygiene products and her wrestling gear. And it just wasn't, yeah. uh, 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 you know, it was just so embarrassing and cringeworthy and she was such an innovator and to see her sent off in such a, a terrible fashion was was more than unfortunate and, and just really rather disgusting no I, I hear you i think it definitely was not the um not the way that we want to see her definitely at least at that point in time uh head off into the wind at least at that point in time that being said yeah. she of course did make her back now she did do some some stuff in the independence um, she did work for United Wrestling Federation in 2007. She also did some stuff with Family Wrestling Entertainment um, as a special referee in it, uh, involving in a women's matchup. Uh, however, she also made several part-time appearances for WWE since her ultimate retirement in 2006, and not including you know in-ring matches. Uh, she showed up at the December 10th, 2007, Raw's 15th anniversary. She teamed up with Trish Stratus to get rid of uh, you know, get the ring of... Uh, get rid of Jillian um, Hall. Um, of course, she did like a backstage reunion with Kane. She ended up showing up on the November 1st, 2010 episode of Raw with a backstage thing with Pee Wee Herman because apparently she loves Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, um, she's a huge fan. Yep. He, uh, was also a, another you know inspiration of her. Uh, she also uh, was at the 2011 Slammys, gave one to Kelly Kelly. 
He appeared on the 1000th episode of Raw with the whole Legends thing with Heath Slater and an intergender no DQ match. Of course, that was... Yes, that, she came out to beat him, and that was a, a great moment. That got a chuckle out of me. But of course, one of her biggest accomplishments was when she was inducted into the Hall of Fame 2014. Of course, who else would be else to induct her? Her longtime rival and friend, Strata. Yeah, her best friend in real life. And, you know, Lita thanked those who were instrumental in her, you know, development, growth, and success. And she showed a ton of personality and appeared slightly more comfortable than she did in the microphone during her career, too, you know. Enjoying every second of the moment, she she gleefully accepted the honor, and she was, you know, kind and humbly walked into, you know, the, the, the spotlight and, you know, walked out of it gracefully. So it was a great speech and very moving at a, a you know, resounding <laughs> ovation from the crowd. Really better and, than leaving out that way. Yeah, absolutely. That was what she deserved. And I also want to make note, too, you know, the live sex celebration for as crazy and, and uh, you know, Cooth as it was, the blink and you missed it nature of her, her wardrobe malfunction resulted in the Chocolate Town USA Giant Center not booking WWE for over two years. <laughs> you know, so it, 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 it was wow. just, you know, funny to see how, you know, her being under the covers made such a, a, a wave of things. And then there was a lot of family, uh, you know, <laughs> blogs and things like that at the time going after her as well so i mean she she came up against it and always came out on top for the most part and it was just amazing how she yeah. was able to be so formidable and and yeah <laughs> pun intended now of she, course... she certainly was though to me that you know that the the best heel as as far as female oh, yeah. goes for i, I think no uh, doubt in my two even, decades i'd say definitely better than sable in my um so after a hall of fame induction in 2014 she again would continuously uh, show up with WWE every once in a while. She served as a trainer on the sixth season of Tough Enough. Um, she also appeared on uh, you know Raw to kind of promote that. Apparently, from October 2015 to July of 2016, she was also a creative writer uh, and a backstage producer for WWE on a time basis, uh, even leading to her showing up at the pre-show of WrestleMania 32, unveiling the new Women's Championship belt, and retiring, thank God, the Divas you Championship. Were in, uh... I was right there. For, correct? Twelve yeah, rows so. behind her. Yeah. Um, I hate to admit Amazing the fact that belt. I hate to admit the moment. fact. Hate to admit the fact that I was actually um, away from my seat because I didn't know she was coming. Crap. But um, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did the, the pre-show. Yeah, I did see it after. Man, getting into our seats—that's another story for time. Anyway, um, but she yeah, was working. Glad she was able to unveil that, and I mean, you hear throughout the locker room you know there's there's such adulation and respect for her i mean she's credited as to being the one that inspired aj lee to get into yep. wrestling at all yeah, there's that know, famous video that came seeing her cry and everything yeah you know so there's so many different things and aspects of this and it's just uh you know she she really transcended the wrestling business and and just changed the way things were she broke the mold changed the stigma behind it and showed that there's more than just looks for these females now lita would ultimately does make her way back into the ring she does do some more commentary skills though with um you know with some pre-shows here and there uh pre-shows for raw smackdown pay-per-views even free she even did uh the original mayon classic uh, commentary alongside jim ross which wasn't too shabby all things considered but of course, her ultimate in-ring return would be on January 28th, 2018, in the very first ever historic all-women's Royal Rumble match. A surprise entrance, although 
can't really be too surprised that she was part of this history making event uh, by entering number five. Uh, of course, eliminated by Mandy. She eliminated Mandy Rose and Tamina before eliminating by Becky Lynch. Now, it's interesting because uh, if you go back and watch this matchup when she actually shows up, if you watch her closely before she runs down to the ring, she has the names of all the other big-named women who unfortunately uh, had passed away and couldn't be there. I think they put in, like, Mae Young, uh, Luna Vachon, uh, China. So see, like, the names of all these really, like, written on her in memorial to all the women before, which I thought was just an absolute fact. Um, but moving on, she would also come back at the first women's pay-per-view uh, for WWE, which was Evolution. Now, originally, she was supposed to make her in-ring return against Mickey James. Um, however, uh, due to some unfortunate uh, injuries by Alexa Bliss, who was supposed to be uh, facing Trish Stratus and had to pull out due to injury, they eventually found, formed a tag team. So it was Trish and Lita team and take on Alicia Bestie back at it. Yep. Uh, to take on Alicia Fox and Mickey James in tag team action uh, due to unfortunately Alexa Bliss's concussion. At the event, of course, Lita and Trish got the victory over here and then the next night on Raw, a huge 10 women tag saw uh, Lita, Trish, Natalia, Sasha Banks and Bailey defeat Mickey James, Alicia Fox and Riot Squad. Up to this point, pretty much all we know about so yeah, hell of a, you know, I got to meet her once in person, and she was incredible to speak to. A friend of mine had his, uh, my good friend Nick Orozco had a Slipknot shirt on, and she had a sweatshirt on. She lifted up her sweatshirt to show that she had a Slipknot shirt on as well, and we started talking about music and things and the like, and it was just so easy to feel like you knew her as a best friend kind of idea, like you were easy to connect to, you know, she felt uh, attainable. She wasn't somebody that, you know, looked down upon her fans like she was better than anybody at least not in that moment, you know, and certainly I've never seen anything that would that would prove to say otherwise, but she just was very compassionate, kind, humble, thankful, and she appreciated everyone that showed up and gave everyone their, you know, their their due time. It wasn't just a, you know, signature and push people away. She was willing to speak to everyone, and it was just very uh, considerate, especially compared to other wrestlers that we had met at that time, so... That's something that always stood out to me with just, you know, how compassionate she was to all of her fans. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it says a lot when you're willing to go above and beyond for the people that, you know, buy your merchandise and whatnot. So it's just crazy to, I mean, go back and look at her again. Four-time women's champion, uh, be participating in the first-ever women's pay-per-view, first-ever women's rumble, and, of course, definitely check off that Hall of Fame box because it's definitely something definitely yeah deserves um i think first women's cage match first women to you know main event raw twice you know at that point in time and uh highest rated segments and (laughs) and highest rated tv matches you know it's just she's she's got so many fantastic accolades it's it's fantastic i think that you know when and i I don't want to make too many comparisons to trish because i think that's unfair in a lot of ways um but with with um with Lita, she definitely stood out and, and, and truth be told, if we're gonna do like a contest between, you know, who I preferred versus as far as my uh eye candy of Trish versus Lita, I was always a Lita person. I always liked Lita more than Trish. Um, just a little bit more. And I think that is because of that rebellious spirit, rebellious attitude. You know, she was unique, she was different, she was doing things that the guys did, and I think that 
realistically the best way to sum up, at least for me, and I'll, I'll curious to hear what you have to say, Jake, but we kind of already touched upon at the beginning of this, mm-hmm. is that Lita had a fantastic career, um, but we feel like the send-off was just a little underwhelming to, to the extent of what, like, to, to complement what she was able to perform when she was in the ring. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but I feel like they were able to write that wrong since then, as that's often overlooked now for her later accomplishments, such as, you know, the Hall of Fame acceptance and her returning for both the Rumble and Evolution Women's, right. you know, all women's pay per view. So uh, everything that she's done afterwards, I think, helped erase that, you know, bad taste that was left behind from her retirement night. What but, do you think? Yeah, all in all, you know, it, it can't be overstated just how much she accomplished. What do you think? I mean, at this point, there's really not much else left for Lita to do. Um, I mean, but she has come back at in the ring twice in the last year. Um, what do you think? There are women's tag team. Do you think there's a chance that we could see Lita back for one and as tag team champ? Maybe not full time. I, I definitely think we'll see that happen. You know, the big rumor was that they were supposed to be used and utilized for this year's past WrestleMania 35 where they were going to be taking on, you know, Sasha and Bailey for the women's tag team titles. And I'm still not exactly sure why that didn't happen. I guess they've, they've, I had heard they felt like they had more than enough star power at the show and they wanted to save it for another point, which I still find odd. But, you know, I, I guess in one way it's, it's beneficial for the other females not to be excluded for, you know, returning talent you know, and Hall of Famers coming back. But right. I can definitely see them absolutely going for a run at the tag titles together, which they said they've they've feigned interest in before at if they do another, you know, evolution style pay per view for the women, I can see that, you know, certainly being, you know, main event caliber match. So with that being said, I think that's a great little sending off point. Jake, let's talk about those uh, favorite moments or matches, the top ones that you have in your compiled list. You got a top five of Lita's best matches, right? I do indeed here. And uh, number five is with Trish Stratus. Lita and Trish take on Gail Kim and Molly Holly at the Unforgiven 2003 pay-per-view. As we said before, this is when she was out of action for 17 months. So people were unsure if she would be able to, you know, survive in the ring. Would she still go ahead and have the same vibrant spirit that she once, you know, touted so strongly? And she not only knocked it out of the park, but continued to, you know, hit grand slams the whole way through. She, uh, you know, got that hot tag and, you know, performed Hurricane Ranas and Moonsaults, you know, from the top rope that, that were unparalleled to her, you know, <laughs> abilities before. Crowd exploded, and it was a great, great moment for sure. So you definitely want to check out that match. Uh, number four here is with the Hardy Boys. She had the uh, six-person tag against TNA, so that's Test and Albert with Trish Stratus. That was at Fully Loaded 2000. That was her pay-per-view debut that we discussed. Again, you know, she put on that show-stealing performance that we had said and, uh, you know, certainly one to watch. Uh, number three, one of my favorites was her facing Stephanie McMahon at the Raw 2000. That's the August 21st, 2000 episode of Monday Night Raw. And, you know, talk about all of the legends, Hall of Famers, you know, however you want to lay it down. Um, you know, The Rock, Triple H, Kurt Angle, the Hardy Boys, everyone being involved in this this angle at this point in time and you know the the crowd again popped for a historical moment when she won her first women's title and especially because stephanie mcmahon had given her so much grief up until then 
that it really, you know, it, you, you can't overstate how momentous this was. Number two is when she took on Trish Stratus in Raw 2004. That's December. Uh, she went ahead and faced her in the main event, you know, and another historic and noteworthy moment. Um, as scary as that, that, you know, scorpion stinger that she gave herself was, uh, everything that they were able to accomplish in this match, you know, was, was amazing. And uh, one of my favorites, actually, was Trish Stratus's final match. Even though Lita, you know, didn't win the, the caliber of, you know, performance that they had, you know, put on that night, everything that they produced was just perfect. It was a real, you know, real bit of glory. And, you know, they, they gave uh, Trish a fantastic send-off thanks to everything that Lita did for her. So those are the top five. And, of course, you know, you can always go ahead and, and check out uh, the WWE Network. They have a, a you know, Team Bestie feature as well that shows, you know, best friends, better enemies. And you can see some more of their, their feud as well. So Hell to the yeah. Well, that being said, that's going to wrap up this installment of Wrestling Retrospective on the lovely Lita think it's time to reveal about um well about the big surprise for next month's installment are you excited for this jake i cannot wait people are going to go nuts when they finally hear this drum so roll please so we decided of course a couple of months ago that, that we're gonna have one episode and jake picked of of the topic and the person of their of their choice and i would choose the one and so jake nine i would have ten course we just did lita that was jake demarco's choice my choice next month coming at you guys bruno san martino the living legend himself but guess what guys not just going to be me jake we're also going to be That's joined right we're going to be joined at some point in time in the podcast uh with a friend of mine a guy who i look up to a person in, uh, who i look up to a lot in the wrestling world i think such the, such the nicest guy he's a sweetheart um, and the knowledge and the history this man has been in in the world of pro wrestling. I'm talking about the, the one only uh, Mr. Bill Apter will be joining us on the Bruno San Martino Wrestling Retrospective. I cannot wait to pick Bill's brain because, fun fact, Bill was actually uh, at Madison Square Garden the night Bruno lost the title to Ivan Cole. So to hear, and he was very close with the family, so I cannot wait to hear um, stories actions everything bill has to say about his memories and with the living legend san martin i am elated and cannot wait i'm so excited to to you know go ahead and like you said pick his brain and see what he has to say and just to, to be able to speak to someone that has so much backstage knowledge of everything that, that you know he went through and personal connection i i am truly truly uh, you know just beyond excited for this well that being said guys you're gonna have to tune in but if you want access as soon as it drops head over to patreon.com slash okfabe and become a gold patron you get first access before everyone else does but of course let me know your thoughts about this episode hit us up in the comments social media you can follow myself at okfabe you can follow jake demarco at countdown ended and we'll see you guys next time for another episode of wrestling retrospective <laughs> <laughs>